Welcome everyone to Attorneys Are Human 2, Episode 5, Politics is a Combat Sport, Part 1, featuring Dr. Andre Fladell. I'm Steve Wallace, your host, and our co-host is Selena Music. We are both of the Wallace Law Group. Okay, so, so let's get started. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and at a point in time, my parents moved to Nassau County, Long Island. Okay, great. And so you, you've been involved in politics for many, many years, more years than Selena has been alive on this earth. And when did you first get involved in politics? When I was in college, they had a Vietnam War. And in the course of that period, they would draft people into the army to fight. And the draft was going on and on for many, many years. And they changed the nature of the draft at one point to those people that were majoring in essential occupations. So if you majored in drama or art, you got drafted. But if you're going to be a doctor, you didn't. So people changed their majors to accommodate not being drafted. Then they changed it again. So if you were in the top half of your class, you wouldn't be drafted, but the bottom half would be drafted. So we changed majors again. So we take the easier courses. And it became so convoluted that the, the kids in college in those days were drawn into a political movement to try to end the war not be drafted, and to, at the end of the day. Excellent. So after college, uh, you decided to become a chiropractor. Can you tell us, you know, why you decided to become a chiropractor? Yes. My father said I either had to get a job or go to school, and getting a job seemed to be the worst option. My family said that you become a doctor or a lawyer because that's what your choices were. And it sounds like my family, too. Right. I took the latter, lawyer. Exactly. And well, and if you have no personality, you could become an accountant, apparently. But my parents said, either you go to school or get a job. And it seemed like going to school would be easier. And there was a chiropractic school in Glen Cove in Nassau County. So I, I went to that school and became a chiropractor with no real thought of ever doing that. Okay. And then after chiropractic school, did you move to Florida? Yes, I did move to Florida. I wanted to go to another school for another three years, but apparently that wasn't an option I was afforded. And I actually <laughs> found out they wanted me to go out and actually do something real. So I went to Florida and set up in Delray Chiropractic Center in the 1970s and became a chiropractor for about 35 years. Okay, so I moved to South Florida in, in 2002. Selena moved here three or four years ago. So can you tell us about South Florida in the 70s? I, I'm thinking surfboards, ocean, a lot of bell open bottoms. space. Bell bottoms. bell bottoms. You want to think of it a little bit differently. Palm Beach County particularly was essentially an agricultural county with not a lot of Northerners, and Northerners considered Yankees, and the Yankee Confederate mindset existed. In a city like Delray, for example, when I moved to it in the 1978, 1977, the chief of police openly didn't particularly care for blacks or Jews. It was very clear. The Jews weren't welcome in restaurants. The blacks weren't really welcome to be east of Swinton in the downtown area at nighttime. They were scored out. In the 1980s, there were protests by the African-Americans on the beach, blocking the ways to the beach. I mean, they, they, it was the sound. I wasn't aware of any Jew or Black that had ever been elected in Palm Beach County, countywide, and I don't believe there were any. It was a very different kind of place. It was west of the 90 area. They were developing all these new projects, these HOAs, these 
Kings Point, these large Century Village. And, and for our listeners, when we're talking about HOAs and Kings Point and Century Village, we're talking about condominium complex and homeowner associates. Yes. And they were coming in by the thousands and they were advertising for people to be moving from the Northeast, particularly at that time. So from New York, New Jersey, and Baltimore, Massachusetts, people were coming in thousands. We had in the population, farmers, um, Southerners, and good old boys. And all of a sudden in these areas, 8,000 people from the North would move in, in one development, 4,000 in another, and the population shifted dramatically. So that was the way the place was starting to change. Original people who were the farmers resented what was happening. There was great conflict and resentment between us Northern people when we came down here because they didn't want the farmers to burn things next to their home, their fields. They didn't want the farmers carrying guns. They didn't want the dogs to be free on leashes. They didn't want them pulling on the side of the road and drinking beer. So this population that moved here started regulating the people who lived here and even further offended them that the new people were governing and taking the rules and regulations of their social existence. And we were changing it in a very rapid pace. It made for really a very big resentment between we who moved here versus the people who originally occupied this land. So Prince, I've, I've known you at least 10 years. And one of the things that I admire greatly uh, about you, not only your quick witted mind, your funny jokes, but you're a coalition builder. And so can you take us back to that time frame when there was a lot of strife between the folks that have been here for a very long time and then the, the new quote unquote Yankees? Yeah. I, I know you were at the forefront on building coalition amongst the different parties. And could you go and elaborate a little bit on that? Yes, we had formed a bunch of organizations. These were before there were COBRA and before West Boca Community Council, before Delray Alliance, before these large big umbrellas existed. There were these little organizations representing maybe just Kings Point, maybe a Democratic club. There was only one called the Atlantic Democratic Club. What we did was we organized all these developments. We organized the leaders, the presidents of these HOAs, so they function as a unit, so we could have a singularity in voice, so we could at least negotiate you know, with some authority. We met with a man named Billy Bowman. Bowman is the key farmer who created the alliance we called Condos and Cowboys, and that's what it was called. If you look at a magazine cover, you'll see there's a picture of the farmers and us standing in front of cows in front of a barn when the alliance was formed. The Palm Beach County Farm Bureau, what later became the Range Line Coalition, which is all the old-time farmers, started meeting with we of the condominiums of the HO, and we started developing a relationship that was extraordinary. We looked after their interests, and we were more sensitive to what they want, and they provide extraordinary amounts of funding and money for the candidates that we chose to run for office. So they became our funding for candidates that we were about to run for county commission, state house, and, and the money was extraordinary. And we provided protection for the interest that they had as farmers. A lot of us had never been on a farm, including me. And so we were out there learning about how cows produce milk and how crops grow and about the temperature and the nature of water and the effect on crops. And they were learning about what we were as urban city dwellers, what we, we thought. So, it, you know, as someone who had a Seder in my home for Passover. I'd have the farmers in my house having a Seder, which was news. Um, Billy Bowen was bar mitzvah ultimately, although <laughs> the farmers present. He didn't know what a bar mitzvah was. He actually thought it was a bris. Well, well was luckily he was, he was happy it wasn't a bris, let's just say that. He was concerned. And the relationship between farmers and the condos and cowboys flourished. So it became an even stronger alliance because we had 
And then the umbrella organizations, which developed. Fran Reich started in 19 with the West Boca Community Council, and I was there with her on that. And Frank Bierman started with the Delray Alliance in the 1990s. Richard Carrington, Ken Sandin, and Al Miller and myself started COBRA back in the 1980s. So now we had all these umbrella groups growing, which had large populations. And we had the farmers and agricultural people with us. We formed the Voters Coalition, the Women's Coalition, the Kings Point Democratic Club, the Century Democratic Club. Chuck Wenda formed the Boca Del Rey Democratic Club. Ken Rosenblatt formed the West Boca Del Rey Democratic right, Club. That, I, was, I was president of that club for, Jack, for three years. Jack Babbage started the West Del Rey Democratic Club. Tom Young started the Atlantic Democratic Club. And I can give you a list, and these are back all 1978 to 1984. You're mentioning all these Democratic clubs, but you've gone on record many times to say that you're neither one party or the other. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? I'm a John F. Kennedy kind of person, and I got into politics under him. While my father's a good Republican and pro-business, and I'm pro-business all the way, all the time, I'm pro-choice, I'm for church and state separation, and socially, I've always been theoretically a Democrat. Even today, I've never left the Democratic Party I once joined. The party may be leaving me, but I certainly haven't left that party. Currently, I think both parties have become unreasonable left and right. I think that the primaries push candidates from the middle, and I think the primaries are inconsistent with a healthy America, and I think they get in the way of good government. So yes, I am a Democrat, and yes, philosophically, on economic issues, you can label me as Republican theoretically. I think you and I share a lot of the similar views on on both of those issues. Selena, you have a question for, for Prince? I do, I do. I have a question regarding politics and how someone goes into that without any prior knowledge of politics. What advice would you give someone looking right now to get into politics in Palm Beach County? You find a campaign of a candidate that's interesting, whether you know them or not doesn't matter, and you hook onto it. And in volunteering, you learn the ground. In other words, you're going to go into a war in a jungle, but you know nothing about it. So you find the sergeant of the platoon and he teaches you how to avoid booby traps, how to not step on landmines, how to know where the tunnels are. If you go into anything, you hook on, whether it's an attorney, you go to a law firm and you clerk. In politics, it's simple. There are campaigns and issues. You pick one. You sit quietly and tight to the people who are clever and you learn procedure. In politics, the key is not to make error. Victories are made by the, it's like playing chess. You just don't want to lose pieces for no reason or you can't win the game. You can be a very good chess player, but you have to protect your pieces. Similarly, in politics, the object is not to say things which set you so far back that you can't recover, not to move your energy, your troops, your forces in places in such a way that they get decimated. So it's a strategy concept of how to achieve goals. Excellent answer, Prince. Okay, yeah. my, my next question, and we're just kind of going through our timeline here. So you created those various coalitions. And my understanding is that at one point, the county commission in Palm Beach County was countywide. And then ultimately, as a result of a lot of the hard work that you did, there was a decision where each county commissioner would represent a certain district. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? Yes. All the elections were countywide. And every single election was determined by a council of presidents or a political action committee we had put together because we overwhelmingly had the largest blocks and we would sit and determine winners and losers. In 1986 or so, 
John R. Smith, Lloyd Ecclestone, John Temple, and a bunch of the business characters, or just pro-business, changed the charter of the county so that countywide elections would not occur anymore, and they could elect people by districts to isolate condominiums and the homeowners into one or two districts. They believed they would take back control of the county, which it didn't quite work out that way, but we made great friends with them. Um, my closest relationships, my closest friends are John Temples and the Lloyd Ecclestones and the John R. Smiths. These have turned out to be the greatest um, teachers and political allies in the county. And we now work with them as, as allies, but they try to undo the hold that they believed the homeowners had on government and they wanted to recover it. There was at a point in time where your coalition actually had a moratorium on development for a time, sir. Could Correct. you elaborate a little bit on that? At the time, there were no impact fees that were worth anything. So when you would build homes, the people who lived here had to pay for the roads, the schools, the wastewater treatment plants. So the first thing we wanted to do was create impact fees so the people who moved here would do that. Secondly, there were no traffic performance standards. That means that you could build places where the traffic was unbearable and no burden on building or widening roads. Third, we had no school impact fees. And it just it goes on and on so that the density, the amount of units you could put per acre would be horrible for the use of land. So we wanted to change the entire function of the land use, the way it was being developed, the density. So we created a moratorium and stopped all permits for a period of time and spent that time rewriting how development would go forward. And if you look at the articles, and anyone can look that up under archives, and there are lots of them, it will say we did a six-month moratorium, by the way, means death. That's what the word comes from. But we didn't really create a death because Palm Beach County was the largest growing area in the United States. We were growing at a rate, everybody was moving to Florida, particularly Southeast Florida. We had a backlog. So when people would apply to build, it was six months just backlogged. So they didn't really lose any time as much as the process stopped for a short period. And in that period, we wrote, and the reason Palm Beach County doesn't look like Broward is because at that time, we changed how many units per acre, how an ag reserve would work, what we would accept in height. I mean, we really improved how Palm Beach County came to be. And we stopped it from really being just a runaway pavement of South Florida. We believe in Palm Beach County. We drew a line and held it very well. Excellent. You became famous during the, the 2000 election. And yeah. that's actually where, where I first met you. I, I was moving to Texas, and I remember I was glued to the television during the recount with the hanging chads and the butterfly ballots. And you actually have a distinction because you were a named plaintiff in the butterfly ballot case. Could you just give us a little bit of background and just some things that we don't even know that's behind the scenes inside baseball on what happened. Yes. I the secret scoop. They, right. They, and I actually always love to quote your case calls for a, a certain legal precedent procedurally. And I always love that case because I'm quoting my friend Prince's case. So people refer to it as the butterfly ballot. The case was Andre Fadel versus Palm Beach County canvassing. The case that wound up in the Supreme Court was actually my case when I filed it at eight o'clock in the morning, the day after the election. I am the lead plaintiff that stopped the presidential election at that time. But let me tell you why, so you understand, because it was not about Democrats or Republicans. It had nothing to do with it. In the state of Florida, in the statute, in capital letters, it says that the party of the governor must be the first punch hole. 
and must be the first candidate. So when every human being in this county or this state goes to vote, always today, the Republican has to be the first name, must be the first name. And the party getting the second amount of votes for governor, which is the Democratic Party, had to be the second punch hole or marking. So when you go to vote for state house, when you go to vote for Senate, whatever you do, you may not realize it, but the Republican name is always first and the Democrat is always second. That's number one, that's statutory. Number two, the name must be on the left and the marking point, whether it be punched, must be on the right. Every time you vote in our statutes, not once, it explains it five different ways. The name must be on the left and the mark must be on the right. Those are statute requirements. The people who are the oldest and the people who don't see that well, the one thing they know, they all vote all the time and they know the statute. If you hit the first hole, it's got to be a Republican and the second had to be a Democrat. On that one page, on that one ballot, in that one election, that statute was violated on both of those positions. The second hole was not the Democrat. The second hole was not on the right the second hole was on the left coming from another page. So you say, well, why didn't they be more careful? Because I can vote when I'm blind. I don't have to even read it. The names came from both sides. It wouldn't have even occurred to me. In Century Village, there were 286 people who voted 16 times for Democrats on that ballot. And on the president of the United States voted for Pat Buchanan instead of Joe Lieberman the vice president. So a unique process occurred in Palm Beach County, only in this county, only on that page, only in that election, because the statute was violated and the ballot was sent in a way they had never done before, people hit the second punch hole in every single thing they voted for that day. And on this one topic called president, it was it led them to the wrong punch hole. Thirdly, the directions and the instructions on how to perform the ballot were never changed. So when you got the instruction to the ballot walking in the poll, it said, hit the punch hole to the right of the name. There was no punch hole to the right of Pat Buchanan. The punch hole was to the left, but they never changed the instruction. I filed a lawsuit saying that the ballot was non-compliant with Florida statute. That's it. And as a result, what, could you just walk through our listeners that aren't familiar with the end result of the case? Can you let us the know what happened? Court ruled. There was insufficient non-compliance for the remedy sort. What that means is, and I spoke to the justices afterwards who I know that- Is this the Florida Supreme Court or the U.S. Yes, Supreme Court? This is thought in Florida Supreme Court. Okay. What they said was, they agreed that there wasn't compliance with statute. The remedy of a revote was non- Different people might have been available. The weather might be different. Different candidates might have different money. That the circumstance of that election and the Constitution does not provide for a remedy. They said that there was insufficient noncompliance, accepting that the statute was violated for the remedy sort, which means what we asked for just simply was not achievable. When the United States Supreme Court stops the recount at some point and declares a president, it's because in the end, the Supreme Courts on both levels decided that the remedy just simply didn't exist. Okay, great. Uh, so Selena and I are going to ask you one more question each, and then we're going to go to our lightning round, which is okay. this or that, 
without any without any thinking. And that'll that'll conclude part one. But I, I want our listeners to to be aware that we are going to have a part two of politics as a combat sport to you listeners. Selena, do you want to ask your last question? Yeah, I want to know what do you think about this mask situation going on and if it should be federally mandated? Okay. First, you have to look at the nature of virus and corona and COVID. We know that it's called corona because of the shape of the virus. We know it's called COVID-19 because it was discovered in 2019. We know that MERS and SARS were viruses of a similar form. We know the virus is caused by something called zoonosis. Zoonosis is a virus from another species. We know that once the virus goes from one species to another, the second species has a different, less sensitive ability to to resist the virus. In other words, within the species, our species, we get mumps and measles and chicken pox, and we can get immunities and we deal with them, but we've never dealt with this particular virus. It didn't come from the human species initially. We know that viruses are the only organism that can't reproduce without a host cell. We know that viruses, like in computers, create something called transcription. They get into the human cell and they mutate the DNA. We know that when they mutate the DNA, the cell becomes the new, it becomes the new uterus, it becomes the new birthplace of the two new virus cells, and then they go to the next cells. We know that the human cell produces a protein, RNA LACE, and that protein becomes the blocker of the virus transcription. We know that interferon is the substance which in the human body causes the, vi- the protein to be formed. So we know a lot about viruses. We know how they work. We know about this virus. The fact is the virus has been handled wrong from the beginning. In the last virus similar, whether you go to the Hong Kong flu or the Asian flu or the bird flu or the swine flu, and we can give you a lot of them, the average life expectancy in 1990 and 1980s was 68.969. The life expectancy of a human being today is 78. The death rate in the age limit from 68 to 78 is at 18%, let's say. That age group didn't exist theoretically, or the human average death was at 68. So everybody alive at 78 are the ones that are dying more rapidly or more frequently. Now, why would that be? Because we're keeping people alive through medication, through transplants, through we have people with secondary conditions that normally would never have existed 30 years ago. So the first thing to remember about the virus is in other years before computers, before CNN, before social media, this would have been considered flu season. It's not flu season because we see it coming because we have communication and technology that allow us to project something which in 1980 would never have been projected. It simply would have been a deadly flu. In this situation, the government started reacting to social media and television and news media, which loves to glorify all this. As a matter of fact, if you turn on CNN, you'd think it was a telethon, and they've got numbers of how many people died yet last week, and they grab it, and they're so excited when the number gets beat. This week, 10,000 people died in Florida or whatever. whatever. That's why I don't watch the news. <laughs> right. So what you have is a massive distortion of what's really going on. They project there's going to be 80,000 deaths, then it was 140,000 deaths, then it was 120,000 deaths. First of all, they're projecting things they have no idea what they're projecting. They're projecting them because they're forced into having to come up with answers they should never have even tried to guess to. So the projections have been inconsistent and inaccurate on every level from every agency. The states, each state had approached this differently. 
Some closed down, some didn't close down. The North would blame the South, New York would blame Florida, Florida would blame California. What we do know is viruses are not going to be stopped. It's only a question of when the virus gets through the population, which it's going to do with or without anybody. The president of the United States is in a lose-lose situation, not because it's a Republican or a Democrat, because whoever was in charge was going to take the hit. When you have a war and you win a war, you become a great president. Washington, Lincoln, Jackson, Wilson, pick a war, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, you win the war, you're a great president. If you lose the war, you're a lousy president. And so in this virus, you can't win this. You lose this war because there's a death rate. So to answer your question about masks, I think this entire thing was handled improperly. I think we should have allowed people under the age of 30 who had no secondary conditions to voluntarily get the virus early with a very minimum risk. We could have controlled the antivirus era. We could have controlled the immunity, not by the make-believe herd immunity concept, by, by allowing firefighters and police and teachers and nurses who were under the age of 30 to get this virus without much risk of anything other than minimum symptom. They wouldn't affect their mothers. They wouldn't affect their fathers. They wouldn't affect their families. They'd never be able to transmit it because they'd all have the immunity. We wouldn't have a problem with protective gear because we would have allowed the younger part of our population to take themselves out of the infectious stage equation. They would have been self and we could have controlled their infections, let them get over it. And then we would have had 25 to 30% of our service population not needing masks and not infecting their parents and grandparents. Had we done this and had we considered this for next time, then we'd realize that you don't fight a virus by closing your eyes and sticking your head in a hole. You fight a virus by controlling who it affects and protecting those who are most in jeopardy. In answer to your masks, there were, in government, you always have the public good versus the private right. In everything you do as an attorney and everything you do in land use and everything you do in constitutional balances of, of rights, there's the public good and the private right. My private right is to go home and do whatever I want, anytime I want. I can wash my face in bacteria if it makes me feel good. But when I'm going to affect another human being outside of my home, the argument of the public good becomes part of the argument. So when you ask that question in balancing the private right versus the public good, I believe I should have the right not to wear a mask, but I do because the public good dictates that I have a social responsibility. So I think the government in an emergency has the legitimate constitutional right to demand people wear masks. Although I find it offensive, I respect that right. I respect the public good is what the government must do in this case when it has no playbook. Although I, I have a resentment for it, I respect it, I follow it, I obey it. There's a lot of things I don't agree with. I think I should be able to smoke pot and I've been doing so since I'm a kid. The government said I should go to jail for that. Now the government thinks I don't need to go to jail for that. People went to jail for drinking alcohol. Now it's okay. The government through time changes its view on things, but the government has an, an, an inherent right to protect the public. That's what the constitution was about. Promote the general welfare is in the preamble and provide for the common defense. So I support the legislation or the attempt in an emergency. I resent it individually. And Excellent. I well said. Excellent answer. So then my last question before we go to the lightning round is, is politics a combat sport and why? War is politics with bloodshed. 
That's who a warrior is. Whether you're gaining land, you're gaining something or a theory of who should govern. Politics is war without bloodshed, but it's no less of a war. If I have, and I was in college and we had a Vietnam War and we were being drafted, someone was taking my mother and father's child and saying, you have to go kill somebody around the world. Um, these people are having a domino effect. They're going to be communists, so you have to kill them instead. So someone's saying to me that I have to die because someone made a political decision that I have to be sacrificed to protect the nation, provide for the common defense, and I have to do this by going around the world in some jungle and killing people, or they kill me. So if I'm now working a campaign in Palm Beach County, and a person running has children and has a family, and in the course of this campaign, that family gets harmed. Well, if that person gets elected, He's going to say whether my son is going to go to jail for smoking pot or not. He's going to say whether a cop has the right to beat up a, a, someone they arrest or not. He says whether stand your ground is a law or not. If I think that person running for office is going to harm my children, is going to harm my family, then harming his is perfectly justifiable to stop him before he gets to the place where he will inevitably harm my family. So politics has to be a combat sport because we're not in the high school student council anymore. And the result of the legislation these people will pass will absolutely annihilate my family if they, what they pass is horrendous. My kids don't need to pray in school necessarily. And I just believe that the cost of tuition, censorship of text, all these things they can and do do are dangerous. Then I will stop the human being who's dangerous from getting there, including damaging their life. So yes, I don't know how much more combative it gets. Game of Thrones is, you know, all science, science fiction has become real. But at the end of the day, you're deciding who, are you on the menu or do you sit at the table? The people who say, I don't want to be involved with politics, it's fine by me. I'll, make, I'll tell you which way you drive down the street, how big your houses can be, what your occupation license is going to look like. I'm going to make the rules and you're going to live by our rules. If you want to be engaged, then we'll live by some of your rules. How old the child is before they can drive, how old the child is before they can vote, how old the child is before they can drink, protecting of children themselves. Do you want to let us make the rules and just do whatever we tell you? Or you want to get involved and you want to make a difference? You want to be on the menu? I'm glad to have you on the menu. You want to sit No, I want some dragons. I want to be on that table. You sit at the table, then you sit at the table. So it's combat because we're in a, a, a republic. We're in, a, we're in a, a, a theoretical democracy. It sets up to be combative, unlike a kingdom where the king rules. There's no combat in the society because the God gives power to the king. In, the, in our country, God gives power to the people. Read the Declaration of Independence. Excellent. Selena, do you want to handle the lightning round for the part one? I will. I will. All right. I have some, some quick questions you're going to answer with no thought, okay? I don't... All right. Cats or dogs? Cats or dogs? Dogs. Apple or Microsoft? Neither. Okay. Game of Thrones or House of Cards? Game of Thrones. Sneakers or sandals? Beach, beach sandals, Marlago sneakers. <laughs> Apples or oranges? Oranges. Basketball or football? Oh, man. I got a basketball court in my house, and I love football. 
Okay, I'm going to throw this curveball at you. New York or Florida? Florida. Not a curveball. Well, that's it. It's well, really thank you so much and here. stay tuned. And thank you again, Prince of Palm Beach County, Dr. Andre Fladell. And please, listeners, this is only part one of Politics as a Combat Sport. And we look forward to speaking with the Prince of Palm Beach County, Dr. Andre Fladell, for part two shortly. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Attorneys Are Human 2. Please subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast host. Please also leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider. Hope you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to seeing you next time.